What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here for a special Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, and you can check out all of our fantasy baseball content here at Ethos Fantasy BB, whether it's podcasts, articles, news and notes, updates to the site. You guys can check it all out there on Twitter at Ethos Fantasy BB. And if you're not somebody who uses Twitter or social media, sportsethos.com, you'll get all that same great stuff right from the source. Today, we're doing another team preview. If you guys missed it yesterday, we had Chris Clegg on. We we're talking Atlanta Braves. Today, we are joined by Ben Palmer. If you're not familiar with Ben Palmer, he is a senior writer over at Pitcher List. You can check him out over on Twitter at Ben J. Palmer. First time on the show. Ben, it's great to get the chance to talk with you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I will always take the opportunity to talk about the Orioles. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one talking about the Orioles. They had one of the more surprising seasons last year, I think. They dominated. They came out on top in the American League. Not in the American League, but they were, I think, in the regular season. Wasn't Baltimore the best American League team last year, record-wise? Yeah. They were yeah, they, yeah, they were. And I don't know how many people were really expecting that. We're going to get into everything um, Baltimore Orioles in a second. But I do want to give you a chance, Ben, to just let everybody know about what it is you do over at Pitcher List. Any work you got going on that you'd like to plug here before we get going? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm uh, one of the senior writers over at Pitcher List. I've been there for ever, uh, like since 2016, I think. Um, and, uh, I do during the season, I do a weekly column of hitters. You can stream, uh, for the upcoming week, uh, this off season, in fact, probably within the next few weeks, I'll be starting my pitch review series where I look back at the best pitches of each pitch type. And, uh, also looking back at the pitches that had the highest chase rates and, you know, all that kind of stuff, the best, uh, best overall pitches of each different type. So I'll be doing that as well. And I also write about the Orioles every now and then for a Baltimore sports blog called Baltimore Sports and Life. Um, that's where it's my more niche, like ranting about the Orioles stuff is. <laughs> yeah, make sure you guys are checking out Ben's work. He does great stuff. Obviously, anything pitcherless related is worth checking out. And PitchCon's coming up uh, in a few weeks. It I is. Think. Like the yeah, last week. Couple, uh, a couple weeks. Last mm-hmm. week of January, I think. Uh, I signed up yesterday. Uh, going to be great to get yep. back on there again. I'm sure you'll be doing something, Ben, as well. Uh, not always a great cause yeah. to donate uh, at PitchCon. So make sure you guys are on the lookout there. But let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's talk Baltimore Orioles. We're going to be using Fangraph's roster resource as kind of our template here. It's not perfect. It's We're still January. I'm not sure if this is what the lineup and everything will end up looking like, but it's a good uh, base to go off of here. We're going to start at the top like we usually do. And generally speaking, we're talking about the best player on any roster when we're starting at the top. It's not always the way it works, but so far we've done the Braves and we've done the Arizona Diamondbacks. and We've talked Corbin Carroll and Ronald Acuna Jr. off the top. And I think we're probably getting the best player out of the way here with the Orioles as well. And that's Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson coming off of a very impressive rookie year. 28 homers, 10 steals, and a 255 batting average. He also scored 100 runs. Drove in 82. Now, He's expensive. If you want to get into the Gunnar Henderson business this year, it's costing you at this point a second round pick in NFBC drafts. Generally speaking, I think sometimes you're getting him maybe in the third, but the ADP of 29.5 is is expensive. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gunnar Henderson as a whole? Do you think that we can see some improvement this year? Are you willing to pay that second round ADP? Uh, I think second round is um, that's a little pricey, but I, I probably would. I think uh 
I think Gunner's skills are legit. I mean, you know, if you look at, uh, so if you look at our at pitcher list, our PLV, which is our pitch level value, it's sort of like um, Eno Saris's stuff plus. Uh, we have um, hitter level PLV, and it shows that Gunner is above average at both his contact ability and power. So he he is just generally as a all around hitter, he's he's better than average. Uh, the plate discipline is slightly concerning to me. Um, you know, he had a, that 255 average came with a 245 expected uh, average, um, you know, slightly below average strikeout rate. His walk rate's OK. Um, another thing our PLV shows is aggression, which is exactly what it sounds like, how aggressive the hitter is on uh, certain pitch on pitches. And uh, Gunner got a lot more aggressive as the season went on. So that's just something to keep an eye on, you know. Play discipline among guys as young as Gunner is always a thing. Uh, but the nice thing is the skills are legit. He's uh, going to be hitting probably at the top of a very good lineup. The counting stats will be there. Uh, hopefully, you know, a decent number of steals will be there. And I think, you know, the power is just going to get better. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think the guy is like, he's like, what, 21, 22? Yeah, he's 22. So, I mean you can only imagine he he will probably get better. So second round's probably the top end of the price I'd be willing to pay, but I think it makes sense, you know, just given the fantasy production all around, he might hurt you a little bit in average. I don't have much faith that the average is going to go up. I hope so. I would love that, but I don't think he's going to suddenly be like a 270 or 280 hitter while, you know, doing all the other stuff, but everything else, I mean, that's, it's an all or he's an all around contributor. So yeah, yeah. he's great. I believe in the skills. I just can't get behind the price, really, especially when he's going in the same range as Pete Alonso, Marcus Simeon, Luis Robert. Uh, if you want to go for a pitcher in that range, you're getting Kevin Gosman, Luis Castillo, maybe Zach Wheeler. I just think it's a really deep area. And I think Gunner was about the 55th or so ranked player last year, according to Rasball. We're expecting an exponential increase, essentially, to be drafting him at this price. And I think everything was kind of like a perfect storm for Baltimore last year. And I think that everything would need to go really, really right for him to be a top 25 player this year. I, I think just based on the batting yeah. average where it is, yeah. I think he needs a near perfect storm to go like 30 homers, 15 stolen bases. He gets the batting average up a little bit. He's able to maintain the runs. I think there's a lot of ifs for me in the second round. If he was going in the third or yeah. the fourth round, then I'd be taking him every day. I just think that he's been priced out a little bit for me, and that's why I'm looking forward to seeing Yahoo open up their player boards and CBS and ESP everywhere so we can maybe get him at a cheaper price because NFBC is kind of all we have to go on right now. I'm not sure if there's a little yeah. bit maybe, you know, people will push up players in NFBC drafts, whether it's a Tariq Skubal we've talked about on the show, Nolan Jones, people are pushing up those high, high upside guys. And I don't know if you're going to see that necessarily in every single draft, but if you're talking NFBC, you're not getting him likely outside of that latest, like middle of the third round. And I think that's just a little bit too expensive for me personally. As much as I love Gunner, I think he's just been priced out of my range at this point. Yeah, I think you're definitely you're paying you're buying high. I mean, you're at that at that price, uh, you're not giving yourself any room for failure yep. because unless Gunner basically hits a ceiling, uh, I mean. Obviously, his ceiling is like, you know, a first round incredible. Yeah, but, you know, it, unless he hits his reasonable ceiling, 
for next year, then, you know, second round's too expensive. So I think, I think, yeah, third or fourth round is probably, that probably makes more sense because it gives you, uh, it accounts for risk in a way that I don't think a second round pick does. No, he needs to be, he needs to smash essentially to even give you just a a neutral return on your investment. If he finishes as the 35th, 40th overall player, you're not going to be disappointed necessarily. You probably won't. But he needs to. He needs everything to go right, and maybe it will. But I don't really want to be finding out in round two. Um, projected about second, Adley Rutschman, who built off of his debut season, cut the strikeout rate. The walks remained about the same. Increased the batting average. Had twenty home runs, eighty-four runs scored, eighty driven in. It was a very, very good season. Obviously, he is going to be on the field more, or at least as much as any other catcher that you're going to be finding in the player pool. He's a five-win player now in each of his last two seasons by WAR. He is. Probably the best catcher in, in baseball, real life baseball. In terms of fantasy, is he the number one catcher for you? I'm not sure if you've put together any kind of catcher rankings at this point, but is he your number one guy off the board at the backstop position this year? Um, I think there's a really strong argument to be made for it. Um, you know, he's you know, he got the elite plate discipline. He I think he's gonna continue to get better. Um, I would love to see a slight bump in power, which that would be really cool. I mean, last year he had a hard contact rate around 27.6%, which is around league average. But what is interesting is his ideal plate appearance rate. So that's um, barrels plus solid contact plus um, flares and burners. Uh, these are all the stat cast things uh, divided by plate appearances. It was 30.4%, which was 31st in all of Major League Baseball. So he's hitting the ball hard and he's making like quality contact. I'd love to see some of that IPA rate maybe translate into a few more home runs. Um, you know, it's a little, little tricky sometimes in Camden yards with, you know, the great wall of Camden out in left field, uh, sap and home runs. And, you know, um, I mean, Adley most of the time is going to be batting from the left side uh, anyways, but I think you can expect to have, exactly for him to have the exact same season pretty much as he had last year uh high batting average good power good counting stats um and if the power goes up a little bit and he starts hitting like 25 home runs or something like that instead of 20 that would that would make him even better so yeah i think i think there's a strong argument to be made for him to, to be the number one overall catcher for sure yeah, I think that's probably where I'm going to end up. I've toyed with maybe Will Smith, maybe William Contreras, but I think it's Rutschman yeah. getting that certainty of plate appearances. He's obviously a game manager behind the plate. He's excellent defensively. He's not going to be somebody that they're going to be putting on the bench very often. 154 games from your catcher, probably about as much as you can hope for. You're going on like 700 plate appearances there. Now, his price is expensive. NFBC, two catcher leagues, people are going to push up catchers. And the way I kind of you know relate it to people who are not familiar with the NFBC is like super flex NF, uh, fantasy football league, right? When you need two quarterbacks, yeah. people are going to be pushing up those quarterbacks because they're you, know, you need to fill two of them on your roster. And I think that's where we are with Adley at 52 on the ADP number. If you guys are drafting like most of you will on CBS or Yahoo, I don't think you're going to have to pay 52. I think that that's probably inflated because you need two catchers. But I don't have yeah. any problem with him, you know, back end of the top 100, you know, in that kind of range. I don't know if I'd want him at 52 in a one catcher league. I think that that's probably pushing him too much. Yeah. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I think where he is right now uh, in two catcher leagues, it really does make sense. I think that team is generally going to get a little bit better. They might not improve win total wise from last year, but I think overall you're going to see some improvements from these individual players on the roster. 
and I think that we'll probably be able to meet like a top 75 price for Adley. You don't probably need to be paying that price though once you are talking about like your standard Yahoo League. So just something to keep in mind there. We're talking about this ADP. It's not something that you're probably going to have to pay most of the time, but I'm a big fan. It's it's hard to not like what Adley Rutschman is able to do for you, especially just based on the volume at, at catcher. You don't really see yeah, that yeah. a lot of guys. They, they DH him a good bit. Uh, yeah. So I think that's, which is great. They'll, they'll keep, you know, they'll put James McCann in at uh, catcher and let Adley DH. So he's going to yeah. get, volume and um i mean and they need him out there because he's maybe their best offensive player yeah. so uh so they're gonna they're he's gonna get a lot of at bats um so yeah that which is great you don't like you said you don't always get that volume from your catcher yeah absolutely uh moving down the order to number three we got anthony santander this is of course the projected lineup i think it's yeah, he's probably a good bet to bat third he started off this past season terribly. I had a lot of people were sending quite like, should I drop Anthony Santander in the first month? And it was hard to hold on, really. He had two home runs. He's batting 213. And then in May, seven homers batted 337. And he did kind of pick it up the pace uh, over the course of the season, ending up with 28 homers, 95 driven in, a 257 batting average. You got interest in Santander this year. He feels like a pretty stable kind of profile where you can kind of expect generally the same thing from him every year. You're getting 25, 30 homers. 250-ish batting average. Are you interested, uh, especially considering the price right now, which is about 140? Are you interested in Santander this year? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think he kind of is what he is at this point. Like you, you know what you're going to get with Santander, which is he's going to hit in like the 250s, good counting stats, maybe around around 30-ish home runs or so. Um, you know, plate discipline's always been an issue with him. Uh, he's got a slightly worse than average strikeout rate. Walk rate is is okay. Um, so I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, there is value to be had from Santander. Um, I haven't heard any rumors about this, but this is just this is just me thinking. Wouldn't shock me if he ends up as a trade chip if the Orioles are trying to make a trade because he's got one year of arbitration left. Um, and and then that's it. And I don't think you know with all of the prospects the Orioles have. I don't anticipate that, um, you know, they're going to be re-signing Santander to a longer-term deal or anything like that. So wouldn't shock me if, you know, along with a prospect or two, uh, if some team wants to move uh, a ace-level pitcher that the Orioles are looking for and, you know, they want someone like Santander, wouldn't shock me if he ends up moving. But I haven't heard any rumblings that that's actually going to happen. Um, but – from a fantasy perspective, yeah, I think there's I think there's use for Santander. I think what we saw out of him last year is legit. I think he's going to be streaky. Like he was really bad at the beginning of the season. That's just kind of what he does. Like he's going to have two months or a month where he is awful. And then he's gonna have two months where he's hitting like 375 and hitting a home run every other day. And it just it's going to keep happening. That's just kind of who he is. But if you can stomach the hot and cold. And perhaps, you know, have your roster constructed in a way where you have the flexibility to sort of bench him when he's cold and then start him when he's hot. Yeah, I think he definitely can be useful. Yeah, I think overall you're still going to get averaging out to what we've seen the last couple of years. It'll, it might be tough at times, but if you hold on like last year, if you held on to him, you got rewarded as opposed to dropping him early. And I think that that's something that, you know, it's probably a question we're going to both get this year at some point is Anthony Santander a drop 
it's probably worth it to hang on in the long run, considering especially if he's a number three hitter in this lineup. It's hard to not see him having at least some fantasy relevance, right? Like, I don't think that he's going to be somebody yeah. who smashes, who goes, you know, ends up as a top 50 player or something that's just not really realistic. But I think that he's going to be somebody that should be able to to remain on your roster all year. Kind of a boring-ish fantasy player, but somebody that will still give you decent production, I think, especially if he's able to steal a few bags like last year. He stole five bases. If he's able to do yeah. that again, you'll take it, right? It's it's not a huge number, but a non-zero is still a, a non-zero at that point. I think I think you'll take that if you're getting that in round nine or round ten. This is where the lineup starts to get really interesting, though, for me, at least in terms of the projections. According to roster resource right now, they got Ryan O'Hearn in the four hole. Now, he had an excellent season last year. 14 homers, 60 RBIs. He batted 289, which was a huge surprise to me and I think everybody. I don't really see him doing it again, though. I think this was kind of just a random good stretch. He's a 237 career hitter. He's not somebody that has a hell of a lot of power. I don't see him batting fourth in the order, and I don't see him having that kind of fantasy relevance again. Do you? What do you think on Ryan O'Hearn? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, huge surprise. It was really cool to see him do as well as he did. It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in the exact same role as uh, last year, which was basically – you know, up against right-handed hitters only. And um, he allowed Mountcastle to DH or rest every now and then. Um, I do think some regression would happen. I mean, he, he, you know, he had a 340 BABIP and a 248 expected batting average. So, you know, those kind of suggest that like 289 is probably not going to happen. He's a guy, um, he's also honestly, and speaking of, you know, like Santander is a trade chip. He also could be someone that, you know, if yeah, he's basically house money, they got him for nothing. And, uh, you know, Mountcastle's the full-time first base. And Urias can play first base if needed. And, you know, easy to forget that Lewin Diaz is in AAA and had a halfway decent season as a first baseman last year. So if in trade talks, some teams like, hey, we really want some left-handed hitting first baseman. And they're like, hey, we kind of believe in what O'Hearn did. I don't know. It's it wouldn't shock me, but I I don't think it's going to happen. I think for fantasy purposes, he's useful in deeper leagues. Like I I had him in a uh, dynasty league where I have pretty big rosters, forty man rosters. So you know you have the flexibility to play him when he's going up against uh, righties and bench him when he isn't. Um, so yeah, but for standard fantasy leagues, I don't I don't really think there's going to be much use there. He's playing, but I'm not going to be consistent enough. Because he will never start against lefties at all. Yeah. So and I and I do think some of that regression is going to happen. I could see him being somebody that you take in like a draft champions if you're if you're doing one of those, and he could have some value. You're getting some later plate appearances. He's not expensive. You know, that's the good thing. If you did believe in what we're seeing as well, he's projected as the four hitter. If you do want to buy into that, which I would advise caution, but four fourteen is the ADP. He's not He's not somebody you have to pay up for at all. He's not somebody that's even going to be drafted probably in those standard size leagues. If you are in a draft and hold of some kind and you're able to get him for 5,500, maybe he gets 100 at bats or excuse me, maybe he gets 100 games played again. And the projections are good. If he meets the projections, 17 homers, 60 RBI, three stolen bases. At that point of the draft, I think that it can have value, but I also don't know how much I really want to buy into the projections. I think that they might be overestimating what he can do. And I, I think that you're you're spot on with the trade thing. If he starts off even 80% of what he did last year, they should try and ship him out because I don't think the true talent is actually you know close to a 290 yeah. hitter who's going to pace out to 25, 30 homers. It's just not who he is. So I think it's a good call there. I think they should probably 
I've already made a trade. Uh, you know, last year I did a trade deadline show and we were talking the whole, pretty much the whole show about they should trade some prospects for Dylan Cease. They should do something. They should trade something for yeah. a starting pitcher. There are going to be some trades coming, I think, with this team. So it might not look exactly the way it's currently constructed right now. Moving on to number five, projected to bat number five is Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes at one point last year was competing for the batting title. He did fall off in the second half of the season to some extent, and he you know, still gave you pretty good numbers. 275 average, 16 homers, five stolen bases. Another guy who wasn't expensive, but he's a big reason why the Orioles were as successful as they were last year. Guys like him, guys like O'Hearn, just kind of not coming out of nowhere, but giving you a really solid season when you maybe weren't expecting it. Do you think that Austin Hayes is more of the guy we saw in the first half last year? And the first half, Austin Hayes was a 3.14 hitter, you know, decent power. Second half, power fell off a little bit, only a 2.27 hitter. Where do you think he is closer to in terms of those two ranges? Yeah, I, I think I think he's probably more like a 2.60s hitter kind of guy. You know, I, I think he's one of those guys who's sort of a boring, um, semi-useful outfielder in deeper leagues. You know, I think his power's okay. He'll get he'll get counting stats because he's in a good lineup, and he'll be out there in left field all of the time because of his glove. So he's he's going to get playing time because he's a great fielder, and you need a great left fielder in Camden Yards, especially uh, with that uh, giant left field. So he'll be out there. He'll get the counting stats because he'll be in the middle ish of the lineup. Um, you know the power is not going to be incredible, uh, but there's there's some use. Yeah, I I don't think he is going to be you know first half off Austin Hayes. Uh, I mean I'd love to see that, but I think he's probably more of like a yeah like two sixties guy who hits fifteen maybe close to twenty home runs, uh, and gets like you know halfway decent RBI run numbers. There's use for that in certain leagues. If you're in like a twelve team league. I don't know. He he might be a guy where like he heats up and you pick him up for a couple weeks and then, you know, drop him or whatever. But yeah, in in your standard and shallow leagues, I I don't see much use for him. Yeah, I, I'm kind of there with you. His ADP is past 300. He's one of those like fill in type of outfielders at the end of your draft, draft champions type of thing. Standard, regular, 12 team league. He might he might get his way there. He might be like a back end guy, but he's not somebody that's going to be like a huge draft target of mine or anything. Yeah. Um, moving on to number six, still, actually, this one is probably the one where I am the most confused as to what to expect out of this guy. It's Cedric Mullins. Cedric yeah. Mullins had the worst year of his career. Now he dealt with a bunch of injuries. He was only out there for 116 games, but the batting average came down. We weren't seeing him steal quite as much. The power was very good. 15 homers in 116 games, but it was a disappointing season. He was one of the guys that you had to pay like a top 50 or so price on last year. And you know, he was he was a fantasy bust. Like he was a bust, uh, injury related or otherwise. Yeah. He did not live up to that expectation. It's not necessarily his fault. But are you thinking that we can see Mullins return to that 2021 form where he was a 30-30 player? He was 290 hitter MVP candidate. Is that still there, or was that just a, a very lucky season from Mullins that we shouldn't be expecting again? Yeah, I I would love to see him come back to his 2021 form, but I don't I don't see it right now. Um, you know, his uh, hard contact and barrel rates have been dropping the past couple of years. Um, I, it's hard to say how much of last year was injury related. You know, he had a, he was battling a groin injury for most of the season uh, and ended up on the IL for part of the season because of the groin injury. So, you know, it's hard to say, you know, could you write off all of last year for Mullins and say, Hey, he was hurt. He was fighting injuries, you know, forget it. 
I'm inclined to do that a little bit. I think 2022 is more possible where, you know, a guy who hits in the 250s or 260s, 30-ish stolen bases, good number of runs and, you know, a little bit of pop. I think that is probably the more likely outcome than a repeat of 2021. Uh, he, and he's another guy who's going to be out there uh, largely because of his glove too. Mm. I mean, he's a, he's a great center fielder. Uh, and so they, they will put him out there. So I just, hopefully he stays healthy. That's, that's really the main key. So roughly 140 right now on ADP. It's like ninth round in a, in a 15 teamer. Do you think he's able to live up to that kind of draft price? Definitely possible. I mean, cause I think the steals can and, and will be there. Uh, you know, if you're fighting a groin injury, you're not going to steal a ton of bases. So if he's fully healthy, I could see him doing 30 to 35 steals again. And mm-hmm. if he hits 250 while stealing 30 to 35 bases and hits 15 home runs, that's extremely yeah. useful. Yeah, yeah I, that's super useful. So I think it's doable, but it's just you got to watch him this spring, see how healthy he is, see how he's doing. Yeah, I'm there with you. I think I'll buy him back in just because he's one of those boring guys. I think people are – he's not really boring, but I think people are viewing him as boring, not going until round 10 and – you know, people are more inclined to to believe what he's done lately is the real version. And he's probably not, like you yeah. said, going to get back to, to a 30-30 season batting close to 300. But if he's giving you 15 and 35 with 250, 260, playing every day, it's hard to fault that, you know. Um, getting a late later outfielder with stolen bases, I think there's a lot of value in that. And their upside is, though, he returns to the top of the order potentially. I don't think he's necessarily yeah. stuck in the six hole. He could you know, run into a lot more RBIs and or specifically runs uh, if he does move up to the top of the order, which is something that I think is probably, I mean, not likely, but definitely possible that he's batting one or two and they have you know Mullins and then Henderson and then Rutschman or Rutschman and then Henderson or something like that. Do you yeah. think that, that's possible? Likely, where would you put that? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible uh, if he's able, if he, sh- he has a good showing in the spring and kind of looks like his old self, he's healthy. I think he has the makings of a very good leadoff hitter. Uh, and then you can have someone like Gunner, uh, maybe third, because he's got a bit more pop. And, you know, or I mean, Adley has, has pop too. So you could argue, you know, Gunner's faster. So maybe put Gunner second. But yeah, I mean, I can see that. And then, uh, and then you get. I, I think Mullins could be one of those guys where, like, you're drafting. And you're like, oh crap, I forgot stolen bases. Yeah. And then Cedric Mullins is out there later in the draft. You're like, oh sure, I'll grab him, and you know he could steal a good number of bases for you. So it's it's just one of those stories you're gonna have to watch over the spring just to see how healthy he is. If he's still fighting an injury, or you know, there's reports that he's not 100, percent then I think you avoid him. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> Uh, moving on to number seven, projected as number seven, but I'm not sure I totally buy that. This guy batted predominantly third and fourth in the order last year when he was out there and he did miss some time with injuries. That is Ryan Mountcastle. Give you 18 homers in 115 games. He batted 270, which was the highest we've seen from him outside of 2020, which is hard to hard to really count. But on a per game basis, he was very good as a Blue Jay fan. I know all too well the powers of Ryan Mountcastle because every time he faces us, he just absolutely destroys us. So, I mean, I've seen that. You've seen that, how the power can really play. He's got a 30 home run season under his belt. Where are you at right now on Mount Castle? you have any interest this year? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, he missed, like you said, he missed some time last year. He had a shoulder injury. 
which I think could explain uh, a few things. You know, what, one of the things I always try to remember is when a guy gets injured, it's not always like he got injured and immediately went on the IL. Like, yep. usually there's an injury, they try to play through it or something like that. And so I could see, you know, Mountcastle had dealing with a shoulder problem, trying to play through it. And then, you know, that kind of explains, you know, uh, some of the drop in power and stuff. I think, um, you know, the, he he's making good decisions at the plate. Uh, his uh, uh, PLV uh, swing aggression metric was way above MLB average. Um, so he's not overly aggressive at the plate. He's got solid power, solid contact ability. You know, that's all you want in a hitter. Uh, you know, I could see the power numbers coming up a little bit. Um, you know, some kind of mix of 2021 to 2020, like those three seasons. So like a guy who hits in the 260s, 25 to 30 home runs, good counting stats. Um, one of the big concerns that people had with him is, you know, when the when Camden Yards moved the wall back, well, Ryan Mountcastle is a power guy and he's a right-handed hitter. This is going to kill him. And uh, the the Great Wall of Camden only stole two home runs from him last year uh, by, by my count. So that's not really affecting him. Uh, so I think you, you're going to see a little – a little mix of what he's done in the past. And I think he can absolutely be a very solid uh, contributor for your fantasy team. I think he's really sneaky, to be honest. I think, you know, looking at that projection of batting seventh, I think he's a lot more likely to bat cleanup than O'Hearn is most of the time. Anyway, I think the skill is more there. Um, If he plays a full season, which I I think there's a good chance he gets to like 130, 140, you're getting 25 homers. You're getting like 70 runs, 70 RBIs in that kind of range. He's not going to pick 237 on average. He's an average. Wow, that's surprising. That's actually surprising to me. It's very surprising, yeah. Just looking at – this is since the start of December, and this is just draft champions. But the minimum pick of 211, maximum of 278 over 23 drafts. People are kind of forgetting about him. You know, first base only, but first base is not a terribly deep position. You get past – Yeah, no, yeah. you You get outside of those top, you know, 10 or 12 names. There are some guys I like. Later on, Pasquantino and your Yandy Diaz's and Torkelson's and whatnot. Yeah. Those guys are all like 100. The guys I just mentioned are like 100 picks more expensive than Mountcastle. And if he's able to bat what the projections are thinking, 260 with 24 homers, four stolen bases, like 80 RBI. And that's projecting right now based on him batting in the seventh hole, I think. And I don't really see yeah. that. As much as I trust Roster Resource and Jason does a really good job, I think that there's something that's being missed there. I think that Mountcastle is going to get more bats, more plate appearances. And I think that this is kind of on the low end of the projection, and especially the ADP. It just makes me want to take him on every single team at that point. Past pick 200, I don't think you can go wrong with Mountcastle as long as he's able to stay relatively healthy. I'm going to have him on every team at that point. I mean, it it just oh yeah, if that's if that's where he's being picked, then absolutely. I mean, that's that's awesome. It's just I I would do that in a heartbeat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now let's have some fun. Let's talk about Jackson Holiday, who is projected to be the opening day shortstop. First of all, do you think that he will be the opening day shortstop? Is that what's going to happen here? I think it's possible. Um, I think he'll get a shot. I mean, the Orioles have shown they don't mind calling up a guy who's like 20 years old. They did it with Gunner. Um, yeah. I think he'll get a shot at the opening day roster. Uh, but unless he just rakes in spring training, which is possible. I mean, he raked at all levels of the minors last year. So yeah. unless he totally rakes in spring training, I think it – kind of ends up being uh, a similar situation that Adley was in where he starts off the year at triple a destroys triple a for like a month and then comes up in like may 
um, or something like that. So it's like I said, I think it's possible he becomes a starting shortstop. I mean, the Orioles are in win now mode. And if they believe that um, Jackson Holiday can help them win a World Series this year, then they're going to bring him up. They don't they don't have any reason not to. Uh, Mike Elias tends to like bringing up guys and keeping them up. Like he, he he wants to bring up a prospect if they are major league ready and they're not going back down. He doesn't like doing the shuffle back and forth. Of like let's give him a few at bats and then that's not what he's interested in. Jackson Holiday, for all intents and purposes, looks major league ready based on what he did last year. It was awesome. So if he does that again in spring training, yeah, I think he I think he makes the opening day roster. Um, but I mean that's a big if. He's still only twenty years old, so you know he he could easily struggle. If you draft him, you know, you're definitely taking a risk that he struggles in spring training or, uh, I mean, hopefully you'll not be drafting. Hopefully you'll know he's struggling in spring training before you draft. But you do take the risk that he doesn't make the opening day roster. He struggles in like AAA. And then all of a sudden, like, well, maybe he needs a little bit longer or something like that. I don't know. If possible, I hope not. I hope he's, you know, the second coming of Christ like everyone seems to think he is. I would love that as an Orioles fan. Uh, and having him and Gunner next to each other would be magic. Um, yeah, so we'll see. It's interesting. I love roster resources optimism. That would be super fun to have Jackson Holiday at, uh, at shortstop for opening day. That would be really, really fun. He's projected for 126 games, and that's kind of the timeline that you're thinking, right? If he doesn't come up in the first month of the season, comes up, you know, somewhere early May, that's probably right. Yeah. And I think they're selling him a little short here. They're projecting nine homers, seven steals, and a 255. I don't know where exactly, but it just feels a little bit light. And maybe that's just because, like you said, he's been viewed as yeah. coming here. I don't know. I feel like he's probably going to be able to get more stolen bases than just seven if he plays 126 games i feel like single digit homers is that would be if he struggles like i feel like this projection is probably not giving him enough benefit of the doubt and i think that's generally what you'll see with rookie slash prospect projections they're more on the conservative side but it's hard not yeah. to see jackson holiday if he is able to earn a spot and like you said like he's gonna have to rake to earn that spot most likely if he's doing that and raking and getting there you know on a hot streak, it's hard to see him failing to meet double-digit homers and steals, especially over 125, 130 games. I think that they're selling him a little short there. Especially steals. Especially yeah. steals. Yeah, single-digit steals yeah. is probably not what's going to happen. He stole, at- he stole 21. He stole 21 bases in the minors last year. And that wasn't even so, that many I mean, games, I think, really. You know? It's like 110, right. 120 right, games. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think they'll let him run. I mean, that's I, I can understand the, the perspective of like, uh, he's 20 years old. The power's maybe not there yet, or the power will take time to develop. You know, whatever. Sure, I can I can understand that argument. The speed is there. The speed's not going to take time to develop. And the Orioles have shown they're not shy to steal bases. I mean, you've got Jorge Mateo and Cedric Mullins have both turned in 30, 40, uh, or 35 ish steal seasons. So if Holiday's there and he is able to get on base, I have no, I don't believe i have no reason to believe they won't let him steal bases as much as he wants yeah and with only jorge mateo really necessarily standing in his way of a starting role at this point i don't know that it'll take that long you know i think mateo yeah defensively but overall mateo is not a great player if you look last year 67 wrc plus is that who they're really going to want to be trotting out well what what i could see happening is that the orioles have a glut of 
middle infield prospects. I mean, there's Joey Ortiz, who looked great uh, in the minors. They've got Jordan Westberg. They've got Connor Norby. Norby's learning the outfield, so maybe he's an outfielder. I think it's also very possible that any of Ortiz, Westberg, Norby are trade chips yeah. because of all the middle infield uh, prospects they have. Because you only have Gunners staying at third or short, and then Jackson Holiday will be at short uh, at some point. So then really you're like, who's your second baseman? And you've got three or four people who can be your second baseman. Wouldn't dock me if he and if one of those guys ends up being traded. But I can see a scenario where holiday struggles in spring training and then someone like Joey Ortiz uh, plays second base or uh, Jordan Westberg or something like that. And then, you know, if holiday rakes a triple A, then, you know, he comes up and one of those guys goes down or, you know, who knows it, any, it, there, there's a, they have a lot of flexibility. So if they want to uh, have holiday stay in the minors, they don't necessarily have to go with Mateo. I think Mateo has some value for the Orioles. He's a great fielder. Yeah. So that helps. He's a great base runner. Sometimes a little too aggressive, but luckily he can, uh, he, his speed overcomes his like aggressiveness sometimes. Um, but you know there there is some utility there where he can just sit in the nine hole and you know deal with that. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a path for for Holiday to start. There's also definitely a path for him not to. I think the most likely outcome, in my opinion, uh, is probably an Adley situation. Like he's down for a month and then comes up in like May. I did a draft in Arizona at first pitch Arizona, and I drafted Holiday as my starting shortstop. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that it'll be pretty. I got him outside of the top 200 picks, and I figured I'd take a chance. I can probably fill in some guys in April if I really need yeah. to. It's a, DC, it's a DC, so there will be guys that I have I, I can fill in. Uh, but definitely hoping that he is able to come up, and you know, by by all reports, he's going to blow past his father in terms of production, and his father's currently <laughs> on the Hall of Fame yeah. ballot. So That I mean, would be pretty yeah. It's looking pretty damn good. I mean, as an Oriole fan, yeah. as a you know, if you're a baseball fan in general, that whole family. There was a video they posted around the holidays a little bit before, and there's another oh, holiday. Yeah. I wasn't even aware that there was another holiday. This I guy know. didn't as well as the other two. Um, I don't know that he's been drafted or anything. I think he's only 15 or 16. But this this family is serious, man. Uh, I don't they're, know. What it is they're about insane. Them. Yeah, they're it's insane. and Jackson Holiday looks like he's 15. He has like the. Yeah the youngest like baby face you've ever seen. It's, it's does, so yeah. funny, but yeah, no, I would love to, I'd love to see him up. That would be super fun. Him and Gunner together and Adley and Ryan Mountcastle and just the whole gang. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Now you mentioned this guy who is projected as the number nine hitter and as the second baseman, Jordan Westberg, Jordan Westberg, who is older than I thought he's already going to be 25. I thought that he was <laughs> yeah. 22, 23, but he's actually 25 came yeah. up a little bit later, maybe than you would have expected. Uh, he's projected as the starting second baseman heading into next year. His projections are projecting about 100 games, 11 homers, five steals, about a 250 clip. Does that sound about right to you, or do you think they're also selling Westberg maybe a little bit short there? Uh, he, I mean, he did struggle a bit last year. I think he has – I think Jordan Westberg's ceiling probably, or at least likely ceiling, uh, is I think he could be like a an Alec Bohm type with more speed, like a high average 15 to 20 home run guy. Um, I don't think that that's likely for this year. I wouldn't draft him expecting that, but that's to say he's still young and has that talent. So, you know, 
I, I think he'll get a, a shot given his age. He is 25. They, you know, they got to see what they have in him. He could also be a trade chip. Like I said, you know, any of those middle infield prospects. Um, I could also see him in a platoon situation. Uh, he hit 284 uh, against lefties last year. So he's, he's good against lefties. He struggles against righties. So maybe he's in a platoon situation at second base, you know, him and, and Ramon Arias, for example, because Arias um, struggles against lefties more than he does against righties. So maybe they do that. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities, but um, given all the middle infield prospects they have, you know, if Westberg is really bringing the team down, I don't think he's going to stay there because like I said, they want to win. And if Joey Ortiz is crushing AAA and Jordan Westberg is hitting 220, then Joey Ortiz is going to be in there or Connor Norby or whoever, you know, one of those guys. Uh, so, you know, or maybe Jackson Holiday is playing second instead of short. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he has potential for fantasy purposes. Uh, unless you're in a dynasty league, I don't think he's worth paying attention to. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. It's just honestly shocking going through this team and just looking at fan graphs like, the amount of prospects that they have that still have ridiculous. There's there's Mayo. We didn't even mention Mayo. Yep. We didn't mention Kobe Mayo probably not up this year. I don't think, or maybe I don't know. He's still pretty young, but yeah, there's another infielder. I mean, he's only third base at this point. Um, there's talk about moving him to the outfield. He's got a killer arm, but I mean, even then, you've got Colton Kowser, you've got Heston Kierstead, uh, you know, Hudson Haskin, I guess. Uh, you know all kinds of outfielders and infielders, more infielders than outfielders, but you know, it's, they have a whole ton of prospects, which is why, you know, people are expecting them to trade for someone like Dylan cease, though. It sounds like the white Sox want the world and a little bit extra for cease. They, they like want Jackson holiday, which is nuts. Um, yeah, I know it's, they, it's insane. And, and I just, especially for cease after the year he had last year, like I cannot imagine giving up Jackson Holiday for C's. But so, you know, or they could trade for Corbin Burns or something like that. You know, they there's a lot of options they have because of all these prospects they have. It's hard to see them not making a trade because just based on the minor league depth, they're not all gonna pan out. But you know, a year right. or two from now, they're gonna be fielding a nine man roster of guys who were like a year of service time, two years of service yeah. time. Is that realistic? I don't know. I think they're probably going to make a couple trades, whether it's Kierstad, yeah. whether it's Mayo, Norby. You know, you can pick and choose. There's like 20 different guys you can pick and choose that are all like top 50 prospects. Oh, there's Samuel Basalo. I forgot yeah, about him. Basalo, I mean, catcher, he, right? he's, yeah, he's the catcher. I don't think he's going to get traded um, just because I think he's, they like him too much. He's too valuable as a hitter. Um, but though, the, my worry this is just me like panic thinking. My worry is that they go like, well, we've got Samuel Basalo. We don't need to sign Adley Rutschman to a long, big long-term contract. Mm. That's like, there's no reason, no like evidence to believe that would happen. That's just my panic mind of like being a cynical baseball fan, <laughs> but yeah. we'll see. I but I mean, yeah, like you said, tons of prospects. They have so much they can, they can use. Yeah. I, I expect there'll be some kind of trade for, yeah. I would imagine a pitcher, but they're in a pretty decent spot, honestly, at the top end of their rotation, specifically with Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish will move into the rotation here. I wasn't really aware of this, honestly, until it was pointed out. It was tweeted earlier today or yesterday by the time you guys are listening uh, by Michael Simeon. And it was Stuff Plus. And Kyle Bradish had better Stuff Plus numbers than Spencer Strider and Garrett Cole this year. He was second only to Corbin Burns, 126 Stuff Plus. I, didn't, I wasn't aware. Like I knew he was great. 
I wasn't aware that it was that good. 283 ERA, the supporting metrics are all pretty strong. He had a 376 Sierra. He had a 353 XFIP. Solid strikeout minus walk of 18 and a half. Is Bradish the ace? Is he the better pitcher at this point than Grayson Rodriguez? Do you think he'll get the ball on opening day? I think he probably will, but what are your thoughts? I think he, yeah, I think he probably will. I think ultimately Grayson is the pitcher that I have a bit more faith in than Bradish. I, I like what Bradish did last year. Uh, he cut down on his fastball usage. His fastball is not a good fastball. Um, he added a sinker, started using that more, started using his slider a lot. In fact, his slider was his most thrown pitch, which I love. He's pitching backwards, and I have preached forever that pitching backwards is awesome, where you throw your breakers or off-speed pitches more than you throw your fastball. So he started using his slider and curveball more. His slider is nasty. That's what that's what's going to bring up his stuff plus numbers. His slider is filthy. Um, the curveball is solid. I worry about his fastballs, uh, his four-seamer. Gets, he still throws it a good bit. It gets knocked around. Sinker's better. I, I honestly, I kind of hope he ditches the four seamer for the most part and starts using the sinker, uh, going for like a sinker slider approach, peppering in a curveball, uh, and using the four seamer just when he needs to raise the hitter's eye level or something like that. Um, the other thing that concerns me, he his four seamer had a called strike rate in the 96th percentile of all MLB. I'd be surprised at that if that happens next year, I mean, pitchers or hitters for whatever reason, we're just being super patient or super non-aggressive on his four seamer. And, but when they did swing at it, they crushed it. I mean, it did not have good metrics against it. So, you know, I, the talent is legit. I think fantasy wise, he's probably like a top 35 pitcher. That's kind of where I'm valuing him. Uh, I, you know, I don't necessarily think a sub three ERA is going to happen again. Um, But I mean, you know, if he if he goes for more of a sinker slider curveball approach, he's got that change up that he can uh, throw to lefties on occasion if he needs to. Uh, you know, I it, you know the fastball gets a little better. Yeah, I can see him being really really good. I th- I do think he ends up the opening day pitcher, but Grayson's the guy who I think has the potential to be like a top fifteen, top ten starter this year. Grayson's more expensive than Bradish, but Bradish is still a top 100 pick. 91 is the ADP over the last month. It sounds like, based on what you said, SP35, that you'd be out at that point. Yeah, I think he, I think he's in the top 35. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily at the uh, at 35, but I think he's, you know, in that range of like 30 to 35. Yeah, that's a bit, <clears throat> that's a bit high. You know, I don't know. I mean. Maybe I'd take him there. I just, I have some concerns. Just there are guys who can overcome a bad fastball with great breaking stuff. Uh, I mean, Carlos Carrasco made a whole career out of having a trash fastball. Uh, But um, Bradish has an incredible slider. Everything else is good. Like he has a good curveball. It's not incredible. Someone like Carrasco, for example, had two incredible breaking pitches in his changeup and slider. So it's hard to overcome a bad fastball. Um, I'm not someone who's like, you got to have your fastball as your most thrown pitch or whatever, but if you have a bad one, it's, you know, it's going to get hit and it's going to be a problem. So if he goes for like heavy sinker usage uh, and that sinker's good and it was pretty good last year, then yeah, I can, I can see maybe justifying that price, but, I got to see what he's doing in spring training, honestly, see if he's tweaking the approach at all again. So you're muted. 
professional at work here, uh, talking muted on the mic as I do every now and again. Apologies there. Now, I think that he's a little too expensive for me. He's the 41st pitcher yeah. in total off the board, including relievers. I wish there was a way on NFBC to sort through relievers and starters because you kind of got to do it manually. But yeah. I think it's a little too pricey for me as well. It's not really the range where I want to be shopping. I, I think you could get behind him once or twice. If you're like a volume drafter, you take Bradish once or twice here and there. If you're like a guy who plays in one league, spending a top 100 pick on him as like your second or third SP, I think it's a little bit too risky for me. If you just go farther down the board, you'll find those names like a, like a Dylan Cease, a Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, yeah. Chris Bassett. There's not as like, Those guys are not going to have sub three ERAs, but I think they have a much higher floor than Bradish. Um, Personally, yeah. I, th- I don't think that Bradish is going to be bad. The projections think he'll have a 386 ERA, which would be very good. I just don't know if I want to spend a top 100 pick on him. Now, yeah, Grace- yeah, I think I think 386 ERA is probably a little more pessimistic than I would be, but yeah. I, I could see him as mid threes rather yeah. than high threes. But they tend to yeah. be more conservative projections. Steamer, sure. you know, you're generally getting like. A, they say it's like a 50th percentile outcome, generally speaking. Sure. So I could I could see him going to like a 3-4, 3-5 ERA. Uh, that wall that they've moved back, which does hurt the hitters, of course. It just benefits the pitchers a little bit. So something else For sure. to factor in there with your Orioles evals. Now, let's talk Grayson. I was really, really into Grayson last year. He was my most drafted, most rostered player. And in the first half of the season, he gave us a 735 ERA. He probably exited many of your fantasy teams at the midpoint of the season. Hard to blame you. Second half, 76 and two-thirds of a 258 ERA. He obviously was night and day in the first half and the second half. I think that he's probably just going to continue to build on what he did with also the caveat that prospect growth isn't necessarily linear. It's not just going to be better better every single year. But I think based on what we saw in the second half, we saw him turn into that ace that people were generally expecting. And I think that I would probably be paying a top 100 price for Grayson, more so than I would for Kyle Bradish. Is that fair? Oh, for sure. I mean, without a doubt. I I love what he did when he came back from the minors. He was locating his fastball really well, uh, keeping it around 98 miles an hour, throwing it for strikes 70% of the time. I mean, you want to talk about a guy whose stuff is legit. I, the fastball is great. Slider changeup and curveball are all rock solid. I, I think he has the stuff to be an ace. Um, I know uh, uh, in right after the season ended, uh, Nick did his – way too early top 200 rankings he had grayson like i think 12 as a 12th starting pitcher and honestly i'm fine with that i mean i think he absolutely has the potential to be a top 10 starting pitcher i really do he has the stuff to be an ace and as long as he can continue to locate it well which it looks like he did uh once he came back from the minors i think that absolutely he could be awesome he's we've heard for years how incredible Grayson Rodriguez is and we finally got to see it and I have no reason to believe uh he's not going to keep it up I mean obviously there's the potential for him to bomb but I think that the stuff is legit and if he keeps doing what he was doing yeah he's awesome some people read more into projections than others I tend to, to buy what they're telling you in terms of rate stats if you look at what steamer projected last year they were pretty damn accurate projecting regression for guys like Urias and Manoa. I, I find it yeah. to be pretty trustworthy. And what they're projecting, and again, that's like a 50th percentile projection, is a 3.6 ERA. That's pretty damn excellent to go along with yeah. 18% strikeout minus walk rate. I think that I'm willing to take him, maybe not as my number one starting pitcher, 
But as a number two, I think I'd be very, very confident. And even as a number one in a certain build, if you start with like four or five hitters and you go with Grayson as your number one, I think you could do a lot worse. I think that he's definitely, like you said, and like Nick said, potentially an SP1 this year, a top 12 starting pitcher. And I think that you can be drafted him with confidence uh, heading into this year. It's expensive, but I, I think it is generally worth it. Yeah, I, I do wonder if you're going to have to pay in most leagues. If you're going to have to pay first, like, top 10 pitcher, top 15 pitcher price for him. Like, I think, you know, probably certainly not. in – probably not. I think in your casual baseball leagues, you're going to get guys who look at him and be like, ah, yeah, the, he was really bad to start the year. And, oh, yeah, I think he did pretty good. And then they're not going to draft him as a top 15 pitcher. So, you know – yeah, I would feel good as with him as my number two pitcher, but I, I don't know that I'm necessarily at the pay for him to be my number two pitcher. That's so I, I think there's that's possible. I think expert leagues, people or people who pay attention leagues like NFBC, yeah, you're gonna have to pay a premium because I think the fantasy world knows and is in on him. But in your like casual friendly fantasy baseball league, I think there's gonna be plenty of leagues where he's gonna fall in drafts and you're gonna be able to get him for value. Yeah, and that's totally fair. Most people most people don't listen to fantasy baseball podcasts. Most people are not going through fan graphs in the middle of the night trying to figure out what yeah. scenario is. You know, most guys yeah. I know from my own experience in my home league with the guys I went to high school with, they know a couple things. They they're not they they know baseball better than they know fantasy yeah. baseball. You start talking Babip and you start talking Stadcast stuff, they they kind of zone out. And I think a lot of people's yeah. leagues are generally like that. There's a couple of very sharp people, but in your average $50,000 buy-in college high school league. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be somebody that's probably, he's not going to be forgotten about, but to your point, I think that people in the NFBC leagues, if you're talking like tout wars and labor in those industry leagues, are going to push him up and up and up because that's yeah. kind of just what this industry does, generally speaking. Young guy, a lot of hype, got better in the second half, boom. Like he's fly, like look at Tariq Skubal, right? He's a top 50 pick, and yeah. that's kind of what you're going to see. And, you know, not that this, we're talking Tigers, but Skubal is probably the same thing. In your home leagues, he'll be going a lot later than he would be uh, in like an NFBC-style league. So definitely something to keep in mind there. Let's talk about John Means. John Means business. I mean, I, I loved this guy <laughs> when he was out there a couple of years ago. It was 2021. He had the great year. I believe that was the year he threw the no-hitter. He had a 362 ERA. Yeah. Great, great start. Great stuff for the whole year, really. And these last two seasons combined, we've got 31 and two-thirds out of him. Now, when he was back this year over those 23 and two-thirds, this season it was a 266 ERA. The supporting metrics do not tell the same story necessarily. He wasn't striking anybody out. But results-wise, he was very good when he came back this year. Can John Gray get back to that kind of peak John Gray that we saw in 2021? John Means. John Means. John, did I say John Gray? I you did say John Gray. That's I fine. don't know what when you're looking at players all day. That's what I'm talking about. We're just I'm just a degenerate here looking at player pages all day. And I was looking at John Gray earlier, so forgive me. John, all, Means. The, all the Johns, all the Johns, all the they all look the same. <laughs> yeah. Now I think um, I I love Means. Um, I love seeing him come back. His fastball was sitting around like 91, 92. Don't super love that. Uh, a couple years ago, it was sitting you know 94, and I liked that a lot more. Um, He's someone I'm going to be paying attention to in spring training. Uh, you know, is his velo improving on the fastball? How healthy is he? All that stuff. Uh, he's never been a huge strikeout guy. Uh, obviously, in the limited action last year, he was like the opposite of a strikeout guy, like an 11.4% strikeout rate. So, you know, it, but uh, 
I think without the strikeout upside, he's what we at PitcherList call a Toby. So he's a guy who shows up to work every day and is pretty boring, but like good enough or high enough floor to like be worth having on your team, but you're not super excited about having him on your team. And when he goes against, you know, uh, really hot hitting teams, maybe you bench him. So, you know, you know, unless the, unless I see something really different from him, he's useful, I think to have in on teams, but he's not going to light things up. Yeah. And you're not coming from a place where he was striking out a lot of batters before the injury. I don't really see him. Yeah getting anywhere near there the price is not bad 273 i can get behind it yeah that's i don't fine. i don't love it i don't i don't you know i don't see that and think i need to have him on every team i think it's fine i think that maybe he can get back to what he once was but the projections again i know i'm talking about them a lot but they're going for a 442 era with a 18 percent strikeout rate fantasy wise I don't know that that's really going to move the needle for you so much, even though the cost is, is not so high. If he's able to get back to 2021, yeah. sure. But I just don't think it's terribly likely we do see him reach those heights again. Yeah, I think watch him in spring training. If he yeah. shows up in spring training and he's like pumping 94 on his fastball, then all of a sudden I'm very interested in yeah. what's going yeah. on. Can, and that's that. entirely possible. I mean, guys coming back from Tommy John often uh, will see their velocity bump up, you know, Maybe, maybe it doesn't happen, uh, but I am very interested to see what a finally like, fully healthy John Means looks like. And I'm yeah. hopeful we get a fully healthy John Means rather than a still recovering John Means. Yeah, absolutely. When he's out there, he is a fun pitcher to watch. He's not going to be yeah. you know exciting pitcher necessarily, but there is something uh, that is nice to watch about John Means from the left side. The back half of this rotation for me is very confusing right now. Dean Kramer, I think, is going to have a spot. Cole Irvin slotted in as the number five, but then you got Tyler Wells also hanging around. And Tyler Wells yeah. was excellent in the first half last season. Do you think that this is correct, that it'll be Kramer as the four guy, Irvin as the five guy, and then Wells as kind of like a bulk bullpen guy? Or do you it's, think that Wells finds his way into the rotation? It's hard to say. I The way the Orioles handle Tyler Wells is endlessly frustrating. Yes. Uh, he's a great pitcher, uh, great pitcher, friend of the site. Uh, and, um, I, I think, I don't know how you put Cole Irvin in the fifth spot instead of Tyler Wells. I don't know. I don't see how that makes any sense. Um, you know, Dean Kramer, I think has a spot and we're saying all of this, assuming they do not trade for a starting pitcher. Yeah. If they trade for a starting pitcher. Yeah. I mean, if they trade for a starting pitcher, all of a sudden, then who's their five spot? Is it Kramer? Or is it Wells? And I think if the if the battles between Kramer and Wells, I think Kramer ends up winning that because they've put Wells in the bullpen before. I could see the argument where the Orioles are like, look, you know, we don't have Bautista this year. Yeah, we signed Kimbrell, we've got Cano, but we really need to make sure our bullpen's rock solid and Tyler Wells is very good. So we'll use him to shore up the bullpen. I don't know. I I don't like that, but I think Wells has the potential to definitely make the rotation. I think he should make the rotation. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It, it's someone to watch. You got to pay attention to what he's doing. See what the reports say. I'm sure uh, I guarantee Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde are going to be asked uh, during spring training, hey, what are you going to do with Tyler Wells? Is Tyler Wells going to be in the bullpen? What's the rotation going to look like? They're going to have to have a response. So, I think you're going to have a pretty good idea uh, by the time you're drafting what the Tyler Wells situation will look like. I'm hopeful. 
that you will. It was super uh, frustrating. And, yeah. No, sorry. I super frustrating. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, you're absolutely right. It was super frustrating. If he's in the rotation, I think he's worth drafting. I, they might pull him early. You know, they, they seem to be afraid to let him go like six or seven innings. Um, but maybe he's a guy who's going five innings most of the time, but you know, he's got strikeout upside. ERA should be solid. So just pay attention to him. That's all. Yeah. In the second half of the season, he didn't really get a chance. Like coming out of the all-star break, he faced the Dodgers. He faced Tampa and he faced the Yankees. He had three bad starts and they sent him down. I thought it was way premature. I thought they should have kept him around in the rotation for longer. He was one of the best arms in terms of whip. He had a sub one whip. And in this day and age, a sub one whip, it's, you can count on the fingers of one hand how many pitchers yeah. are giving you a sub one whip. And, you yeah. know, it's not everything, but he had a 364 ERA. The strikeouts are very solid at 25%. He should be in the rotation over Cole Irvin. If there is any. Oh, you know, for sure. Yeah. If they go with Irvin, I could see it being like, oh, we want another lefty or, you know, something to do with yeah. spring training. But realistically speaking, I think Wells is the guy. I think that they were not. They didn't treat him the way they should have last year. I just think it's really awful that he got sent down because he had a bad yeah. against Rodgers and then against Tampa. I think that they were just really unfair, and he should be given a chance in the rotation. Whether or not he is is a whole different question, but I think I could probably get behind taking a chance on him. Now, out of those three pitchers we mentioned, he's the most expensive in drafts. 331 for Wells, 333 for Kramer, and you're getting Urban at 681. So if there is a reason to yeah. want to take Cole Urban, it's just the fact that he's free. But I don't think that he should yeah. be the guy. You know, he had a good stretch for a couple good, years ago, yeah. but he's not great. He's he's, he's, he's really not, not good. He's he's a command guy who doesn't have a high strikeout rate. Um, yeah. I could also see, and I'm really curious what the Orioles are going to do. DL Hall is in the bullpen. Hall, I yeah. don't know if the Orioles are resigned to say DL Hall is a bullpen guy like forever. Like he's not going to be a starter. Maybe they are. I don't know. And I could see the argument that he is a bullpen guy. He's got good, really good stuff, um, and he can't control it to save his life. That's more workable in a bullpen than it is in a starting rotation. But he's getting to the age where, like, the Orioles need to figure out what he is. And if he's not a bullpen guy, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, maybe he's in that spot in the rotation. You know, I don't know. Uh, I have a feeling he ends up a bullpen guy just based on what they've been doing with him. Uh, and based on you know his stuff, but he's also someone to remember that he exists. And you know, I think honestly, Cole Irvin's the odd guy out. I don't know why they would want him in the starting rotation at all when you have all these other options. Yeah, I I hope I hope that he's not there for fantasy purposes. If you did want to take a chance at pick six eighty and take Cole Irvin, it's not going to hurt you at that point. Maybe he is yeah. the starter, and maybe you luck into twenty or so starts, but. It really shouldn't be him, all things considered. Nah. Um, the last piece of the puzzle here is the bullpen, and they brought in Craig Kimbrell. There are some people who think, oh, it's going to be Cano still. It's going to be Cano. Kimbrell's been the closer every stop of his career. I don't see them bringing in Kimbrell, and it was not a ton of money from what I remember. What was it, $13 million for one yeah, year? Yeah, it was one-year deal, yeah. I think that it would be hard to see a situation where he's not the closer to start the year. Maybe he loses the job. Maybe, you know, he's at the point where he's 35, almost 36, and maybe he falls off a bit. But they're up 3-2 on opening day. It's the ninth inning. Kimbrell's getting – Kimbrell's going Yeah, it's, it's going to be Kimbrell. I, and and Cano, Cano was awesome, um, but he struggled a bit uh, in the ninth – in save situations. He no. – I mean, I say this having – 
not looked up how he actually did in save situations. So this is all just anecdotal from what I remember of the season, but he was much better in hold situations, setup situations than he was in a save situation. And I think you, you don't sign Kimbrell and say, all right, well, here's our setup guy. Like yeah. you sign Kimbrell to be your closer. And that's what he's been doing. That's what he did last year. And I, you know, Kimbrell's still got, you know, enough in the tank, I think, to uh, be worth having in some fantasy leagues. I mean, the Orioles are going to have save situations. They're going to win plenty of games, I hope. Uh, and they're going to be putting themselves in save situations. And I don't think he's going to be threatened for the role. I don't think Cano is going to take over the job. I think Cano is going to be a setup guy like he was for Bautista and like he excelled as for Bautista. And Kimbrell's just going to fill in as closer for this year until Bautista's back uh, the following year. Yeah, I completely agree. Kimbrell does not go anywhere without being the closer. It's been the way yeah. it's always been for 15 years now. When he's been tried as a setup man, I think there was a time when he was with the White Sox and he was setting up Liam Hendricks for a while. And it yeah, didn't work out yeah. well. He is a guy that, you know, he thrives in the ninth inning. He's He's not. I'm not going to say he's a lock Hall of Fame closer because we've seen what Billy Wagner's going through. But one <laughs> yeah, of the true. one of the better closers in history. He's got more than 400 saves. It's hard to imagine him ending his career as the seventh or eighth inning guy in Baltimore. I think he will be the dude this yeah. year. And he's one of those closers that's going outside of the top 100. And there's not so many of those guys that I think are secured everyday closers that you can get at that price. So I actually think Kimbrell is probably a good value as long as he doesn't keep getting pushed up too too much. Also, want to just you know sing a sad song for those who drafted Yanir Cano in the top 100 early on in drafts or somewhere in that range because that's looking not so great right now, of course. But who knows what happens. Yeah. Kimbrell's an older guy. Cano would be the guy that they turn to if Kimbrell gets hurt or something, I think. He would be the he would Oh, be for the, sure. Yeah, if, if, if Kimbrell's hurt, and that's definitely a possibility, Kim, you know, Kimbrell's an old man. Yeah. Uh, an old man. I say that as I'm 33. He's like three years older than me. Uh, <laughs> Kimbrel is is elderly for baseball, and uh, yeah, if he's out, Yunir Cano is absolutely going to be the guy. I don't know who else they would put in that spot. I mean, you know, Danny Coulomb. I don't know, <laughs> but I think for fantasy purposes, um, yeah, Kimbrel Kimbrel's useful. I think Kimbrel could get you 25 to 30 saves, and you know. ERA is probably going to be like mid threes. He's going to get strikeouts. He always does. Uh, so, you know, he's not an elite closer. He's no Felix Bautista, uh, but he will absolutely be useful. And if you can get him for cheap or basically free, I think, you know, there are lots of closers where you're like, you know, does this guy have the job, you know, or was it going to be closer by committee? I don't think you really have to worry about that in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I am totally there with you. He's no longer the Braves Kimbrel of giving you like a 1.1 ERA, but yeah. you know a three a three something ERA with the potential for a sub three season still in the cards with 25 yeah. to 30 saves. I think you're taking that a lot after pick 100 and being pretty happy with it. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it, Ben. I think we've covered the Orioles in, in depth here from top to bottom. I don't think we've missed anybody. Have we missed anybody? I think we've got pretty um, much all discovered. There's so many prospects. Yeah, I think. Oh, that's that's the that's the only thing I was gonna say is like pay attention to the prospect. I will say, you know, we kind of glossed over him. Dean Kramer is also someone to kind of pay attention to. He has the potential yeah. to be a decent fantasy asset. He's got a great cutter, pretty good fastball. Everything else is kind of eh. So he's someone to watch in spring training. If some of those secondary pitches can become better, he's got the foundation of the cutter and fastball to work with. 
So if all of a sudden his curveball or changeup uh, turn into good strikeout pitches, he's he's someone to pay attention to, I think. But aside from that, yeah, just watch all the prospects. You know, like I said, we mentioned Kowser, Kerstad, Ortiz, uh, you know, those types. Uh, pay attention to them, Mayo even maybe. Uh, and if they come up, they're, you know, they're talent. They're all talented guys are worth keeping an eye on. I wouldn't say draft any of them yeah. outside of maybe Holiday, but uh, definitely keep an eye on them. Yeah, see how playing time shakes out in spring training yeah. and see if it's, you know, the manager's tipping his hand one way or another. And you might be able to get yourself a little discount, especially like we mentioned in those home leagues where people don't tend to pay as much attention. You can scoop up some value there. Ben, I really appreciate yeah. you coming on, though. I, I had a great time today meeting you. Thought, well, we've met before. We were on Govier's panel last year. We were. That's right. Piece. I forgot about that. The yeah, we were. Season, uh, what was it? He calls it like the Bozo. Bozo Fest. Fest. Bozo Fest. Fest. That's yeah. what it was. We were on there with Mason and Greg Jewett, I think, for a while. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Again, but uh, good to actually yeah. properly meet you here, talk one-on-one, and talk about what is probably – alternates between your favorite and least favorite subject. I know the Blue Jays do for me, <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes for a lot of these teams. But, Ben, I uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, really fun. Yeah. I just want to let you get uh, get out one more time. Everything you got going on at PitcherList and where people can find your work. Yeah, just uh, at PitcherList.com or uh, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com if you want some Orioles uh, stuff. Uh, I'm at Ben J. Palmer on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, like I said, next few weeks I'm going to be – uh putting out my pitch review series i'm also working on a follow-up to uh my breaking balls article from like three years ago i wrote an article about you know uh how we should think about breaking balls and i'm looking at updating it and seeing you know how hitters are if the if hitter trends are the same or if they've changed so keep an eye out for that at some point but yeah Make sure you're checking out all of Ben's work. You can find him on Twitter at Ben J. Palmer. If you want to check out what I got going on, it's Joe Orico 99 there. If you're watching on YouTube, appreciate it. Just go look at the number or the, the names you see on screen there. Pop in a follow. If you're listening to the podcast feed, then go over to Twitter and check us out. Go check out PitcherList.com. And, of course, Sports Ethos, where you can get all of our stuff right from the source. But we'll leave you there. If you're listening on the day of recording, then go check out our live Gladiator draft that we're doing Wednesday night. It'll be out as a podcast tomorrow. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night. We'll see you then.